So we're going to start a new series uh, for the summer, which we typically do. Uh, I always like to do something, have a little bit of break because of people traveling and things. And I, lo- I, love the, I love the graphic and the idea called Set in Stone. I think that was pictures from Monument Valley. Set in Stone. And when you think about that from a Christian perspective, in my heart what it rings to is being solid in our faith, not moved about by the winds of doctrine that come and go, the changing landscape of the world that flows with emotion. Um, And so I I, I loved, as I was trying to explain to them what I wanted to do, and and really, uh, for those of us who are old school, we would kind of talk about it as spiritual disciplines. The disciplines that we put into our life that will help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. Now, uh, you know, for some people, you mentioned disciplines, and that becomes a negative connotation. But you you think about it in relation to children. You know, for those of us that have been parents or have helped raise kids, you know, when children are small, you try to help set in disciplines that are going to help them grow and become mature and be, you know, good adults, right? Not necessarily good kids, but good adults. And so it usually starts with uh, when they're really small. At dinner time, you know, we need to eat our vegetables, right? Which is a little bit of a challenge because what they really like is the fruit. You know, they like the sweet and they like the desserts. And uh, so, you know, we got to eat your vegetables. And then as they uh, get a little bit older, now it's a matter of teaching them to brush their teeth, right? Not just put the toothbrush under the water so that you think that they brush their teeth, but actually brush your teeth. And then they hit grade school. And I don't know what it is, especially for, for boys in that fourth, fifth grade, but it's almost like they become allergic to water. And this idea that you have to take a shower like once a week, whether you think you need to or not, right? Uh, it, it's just, it's a discipline. It's a good thing. Now, what's really funny, uh, you know, by late junior high, early high school, they start living in the shower and your water bill goes through the roof. But, you know, it's just these disciplines. And then it starts with chores and all of those type of things. Now, here's the thing, folk. Disciplines of brushing teeth and, and taking showers don't make one mature, but they are part of the process. And in the same way, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines in and of themselves don't make one spiritual. So I, I want to be really careful that we don't get some kind of legalistic idea that if, you know, because people like me, quite honestly, I'll, I'll throw myself into this, who are the, you know, type A, I want to check the box, I want to, you know, I want to put the little check mark in there to make myself feel good about I've accomplished, sometimes can look at these things and say, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, and that makes me spiritual, and, and that's not true. I know that I've shared the story with you before, but I was, uh, when I was on staff at Palm Crop before I came to Desert Springs, I was doing visitation, and I ended up in this 
person's home and uh, as we're sitting there talking and they're, we're talking about their, their life in Christ and they, how they come to faith in Christ and their passion was to study the Bible. And they started asking me about my authors and what are my favorite commentaries and all that kind of thing. And, and then they took me in and showed me their, their library. And here's the thing, folk. It's not coveting if you want it if your desire is that they would have something better. And so that was my thing was, man, I'd love to have your library and you could have something better. Then that way it's not coveting. I mean, but it was an incredible library. Any pastor would drool over this thing. But for a good hour, maybe even an hour and a half, as we talked, number one, these people had not been a part of a church in over 20 years. You know why? Because nobody gets it as right as they do. They criticized, they maligned, they went down church after church in our area telling me all the things that they did wrong. It was the farthest thing from a Christ-like heart as I think I maybe have ever seen. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Spiritual disciplines don't necessarily make you spiritual. You can check the boxes, but if your heart's far from the Lord, it's far from the Lord. But what spiritual disciplines do is they give tools to the Holy Spirit to use in our life. And if we have a humble heart, to use this to create spirituality and to grow us and to mature us. So over the next eight weeks, we want to look at eight spiritual disciplines, which on the one hand are both corporate a lot of them, you'll notice, are things we do together, but they're also individual, things that godly people have done throughout all the course of history to grow in their relationship with the Lord. So if you've got your Bibles, and for those of you that are watching at home, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, so if you'll turn there, I want to talk today about the importance of the Word of God, the importance of studying the Bible hiding God's word in our heart. Now, just to give you a little context as you're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is, this is Paul's last letter. It's to Timothy. It's the one who's going to take over. He's reminding him in the start of chapter 3 that as we get closer to the return of Christ, by the way, people are going to turn away from the truth. We've seen that anywhere. They're going to turn more to fables and to emotions than to truth. And then in verse 14, he says, You, however, continue in the things that you've learned, the things you have been um, con convinced of. Verse 15, that from a, your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And now, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, and for every good work. So I want to start today, first of all, with a little bit of theology. And I want to talk about the authority of the Bible. Because so often we 
we miss this part. We neglect this part. But what, what we learn here is that the Bible is God's very word to us. It's exactly what he wants us to know. The word that he uses here in verse 16, all scripture is inspired, literally means it's God-breathed. So God in his breath, which is also we would express it as putting it into words, breathe out his word so that we could know it. Now we think of Jesus, who is the living word, who reflects God. We learn what God is like through Jesus, right? What he wants us to know. The Bible is the written word. It reflects God, who he is, his character, and what he wants us to do. This, so you and I today have in our hands, have in our phone, have however you're looking at it, we have God's very words to us. Now today, sometimes people will push back, but he says, Steve, you just read that, and I'm reading it out of mine, and you use different words than are in mine, and that creates some confusion. If it's God's word, how come yours is different than mine? Well, obviously, Bible was written in a different language. So instead of all of us having to learn Greek and Hebrew and some Aramaic to be able to do it, uh, it's translated into English. And then depending on when it's translated, uh, for those of us who are more mature, grew up way back in the 1900s, right? Many of us grew up with the King James Version, right? which was translated back originally in 1611, I think was redone, was, you know, made more modern in the 1700s. And so when we were reading the Bible, you almost had to learn the King's English a little bit. And so one of the great things that happened way back in the 1900s is they started doing some more modern translations of the Bible. The one that I read out of is the New American Standard. It was originally done in 1960, and then again, I think in 1991. The NIV came out in 73. You know, so all of these, so some of it has to do with when they're translated. The other part has to do with then how they're translated. Uh, so one of the reasons I like the New American Standard, because we do expository Bible preaching, because it speaks to us as far as the, um, how important the word is. It's, it's kind of a word by word. One of the popular translations today is the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV. And it's a word for word, where the NIV or the newer New Living Translation is more of a thought and a phrase. And so it sometimes gets a little bit more of the sense of a phrase or idiom, but sometimes isn't quite as precise on the words. And so it's just sometimes how it's translated. Uh, but the reality is, it is God's word to us. And the best part is, is that all of the Bible's inspired. You know, that became a thing about 30 years ago. Well, the Bible, you know, contains the Word of God. No, it doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Everything God wants us to know. And so in those points where sometimes we kind of wonder about things, but we can't find it, it, it just simply is this. It's not that there's not truth there. It's just God didn't choose to reveal that to us. That'll be some of the fun of heaven, right? Went through all the ages to get to kind of figure out more of this stuff. But what he wants us to know is contained here in his word. It's a great thing. Also would remind you that 
the Word of God is complete. You know, today, uh, in some circles, there's this idea of, you know, that we need more revelation. We're waiting to hear more revelation from God. No, he, he told us everything he wanted us to know. It's there. It's complete. Do you remember what Jude said in Jude chapter 1? He said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you earnestly contend for the faith, which was what? Once and for all delivered down to the saints. And so it is complete. And so what we have in the Word of God is we have the best way to understand what God wants for our life today is here. I mean, you think of Psalm 119. The Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. What we have is exactly what God wants us to know. And so if you think of the Bible as his love letter to us, then how important it is if we are going to be set in stone, if we're not going to be carried away by the winds of doctrine, then to be well-versed in what the Bible says. And here's the cool thing about the Bible is, is that it, it changes us. I love 2 Corinthians 3. He says, but we all with unveiled face. Now the context of that is he's been talking about Moses and the law and that there was a veil that God, you know, Moses had to put on, but it symbolic of a veil that was over the heart of Israel. But he says that now has been removed. So he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to Spirit. What he's saying is this. When we come to the Word of God, this is where we see Jesus. We don't see him face to face yet. We will one of these days. And the moment that we see him, we will be like him, right? So how do we see him today? As in a mirror, reflected in the pages of Scripture. And what happens, and what Paul is trying to say here, is we see him through Scripture. The Holy Spirit is using that in our lives to change us, to make us more like Christ. That's the transformation that's going on. Why? Because the Word of God is powerful. I love what Paul says here in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Profitable. I mean, the word of God brings value to our life. I mean, you think back to, uh, I think it's a couple of Old Testament scriptures. Joshua uh, 1.8. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. Uh, but you shall meditate upon it day and night to be careful to do. And he says, and when you do that, it will make your way prosperous. Prosperous. And you'll have good success. Th think of Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water which brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also won't wither. And whatever he does will prosper. I'm not talking prosperity, God. So I'm just talking about he's going to be fruitful. 
is going to be that part of transformation. Another great passage is found in Psalm 19. And we haven't done this in a while. I want us to read it together. So I'm going to put it up here on your left side, my right side, okay? And I want us to read it together. So everybody together. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great... Can you say that last word again? Reward. The word of God is powerful in our lives. And what Paul says, he lists four things here that it does. Number one, he says that it's, it's, it's profitable for teaching. And when you think about teaching, it is the content that we are to believe. It's the truth that we are to anchor our soul in. It's the content of how we should live. You think of the songs, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Where did that come from? It came from the Word of God. That's what we build our hope on. That's what we build our faith on. That's the piece of, of what the Word of God does in our life is it gives us an anchor for our soul. It becomes that positive piece that we tie into. The second thing that he says is it brings reproof or rebuke. This is correction. This is that discipline in our lives when we are not where he wants us to be. This is the, the conviction part. So... You all know Tammy, right? Tammy, my wife, is one of the most gracious, kind people. And uh, I consider myself to both be gracious and kind, not to her level, but, you know, it, it, she's just wonderful. Well, uh, Friday we were out. You know, Friday it was hot, right? And uh, we, we went to a store, which is kind of our Friday thing that we like to do together. And... Uh, but they were still not letting everybody in at the right, t you know, same time. And so we were having to stand outside. And my, uh, uh, you know, just to be honest, my irritability was going up. And, uh, and, and there were other people who now are, are, in my view, trying to cut in line. And my gracious, kind wife is trying to back me up. Uh, and I'm kind of thinking, well, no, they should just go get behind me. Uh, and... Uh, and so she's, she's speaking gracious words to me. And, and to be real honest with you, uh, I got snippy with her. Yeah, I did. And, and in her graciousness, she didn't say anything. And we went in and, you know, we're pushing the cart and we're going. But you know what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life? He's bringing the word of God, you know, the... So, oh, that's how Christ loved the church, eh, Steve? That's how you're loving her. And 
being kind, tender-hearted. So someplace about the produce section, <laughs> I stopped the cart and I said, listen, I have to apologize. I was snippy with you before and I shouldn't have been. You were just much more gracious than I was wanting to be. But that's what the Word of God does to us. It corrects us. It, it convicts us. And, and to be honest with you, uh, you can sit there and say, yeah, Steve, you need that, but you do too, right? We all do. Because we, we all are in that process. But the tool that the Holy Spirit uses is the Word of God. And then he uses the term correction. Uh, correction. The idea is there, this is the other side of discipline. It, we warp the image of God, and so conviction comes. The correction is, what does this look like? How, how, how should I really live? What would Christ do? And, you know, this has been one of those weeks where, you know, if you're on social media at all, it's, it's a train wreck out there, you know? You just... And, and, and I've just been struggling with, with what do you do and all of this. And, and a verse just started popping in my head. In fact, it's one I don't really even have memorized. I had to go look it up to find it. But it just was that thing that kind of came out of the blue. But it was there over and over. And it was that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember when the early church, they were having kind of some of these cultural issues. And the cultural issue then was, do we eat meat sacrificed to an idol? And in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, we know that we all have knowledge. Yeah, we all have an opinion. We all think we know best. And then he says this, knowledge makes you arrogant. Love edifies. I went, ah, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need to be reminded of that. And that's what the Word of God does. It, it brings correction. It shows us how would Jesus do this? How would he live it? The fourth thing he talks about is training in righteousness, that it nurtures us to become like Christ. It teaches us how, how we should act and what we should do and how we should react to things. That's what the Word of God does. I, I'm, I'm out of time, but I want to... One of the things I really want to try to do during this series is make this as practical as possible. In fact, this week, if you're on social media, uh, Robbie is going to be doing some, some devos through the week and giving some more practical parts on this throughout this whole series this summer. But if I could, let me just give you what I have found to be really helpful ways that have helped me over the years study the Bible. Uh, you know, one of the big things is, number one, you just need to find a place and a time. I mean, if one good thing came out of COVID, you know, we're, we're pretty much under house arrest, right? So it's like, uh, I decided to start running again. So three times a week, I'm going out running. Well, one of the big things about this for me is you, you have to have a time because if you wait and it gets to be noon, it's too hot, right? So you, for me, it's got to be in the morning. And so getting that discipline of this is when I go is just really helpful. And so finding a, a time when you can sit down and study God's Word. But if I could give you five really simple things. Number one, always start with asking for wisdom. You see, if this is God's Word to us, and he wants us to know it more than we want to know it. And if we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us understand, then why not simply just take God at his word that if 
we ask wisdom, he'll give it to us. I mean, James 1.5 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God will give it to him generously. Take God his word. When you come to the word, just stop and say, Lord, I want to understand your word. How do you want to speak to me today? Secondly, then just read the passage. If it's a chapter, if it's a paragraph, just read it. Get the general idea, the general theme. What's going on? Like I, I started with uh, 2 Timothy 3. Tried to give you just an idea of what's going on. Get the context. Then you go back and you reread it. And this time you ask questions. I, I like the who, what, why, when, and how questions. What's he saying? How does this apply? How would the readers first read this have understood it? What, how would Timothy have perceived what Paul was saying here, all Scripture is inspired by God. You're probably going to ask questions that you can't fully answer. That's okay. But that's what causes you to meditate on the Word of God. Then, you've read it, you've taken it apart, now put it back together. This time, just put it back together in your own words. Let this be your handle on it for the rest of the day. So later on, when you're walking through Sam's and you're going, hey, you know, what did I study this morning? Uh, you've got that handle on it. How does this apply to me? What did God tell me I needed to be working on and trying to do? And then lastly, number five, is to pray. I always like to have my prayer time after the Word of God. Because that's the way I can say, Lord, this is, you know, there's a, there's a really scary thing to hear the Word of God and have God speak to your spirit and not act on it. If you do that, you'll become hardened. You'll become like that person I told you before who loves to study, but there's just a hardness, there's a disconnect between their attitude and their actions and what they say they believe. It's a humble spirit. And so when we leave our time of praying at the end, it's God, this is what I want you to do in my life. Now, if you've got your own method of Bible study, stay with it. But if you don't, why don't you just try these five things this week? Take 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day. Wake up 10 minutes early. Take a passage. Take a chapter. Take a, take a half a chapter. Let the Word of God richly dwell within you.